0: I've been watching this show on Amazon, maybe some of you have seen this, it's called uh, The Man in the High Castle, and the premise of this show is really fascinating. It's set in the mid-60s, but the Axis powers have won World War II, so it's a picture of the United States of America growing up under both Nazi and Japanese control. And, as you could imagine, when, when the truth of history changes, then the actions of the people afterwards also change, right? So America looks very different if the Nazis have won World War II. We're at a point in Ephesians now where we're starting to make a shift. In fact, Paul is basically saying, okay, since there has been something that's happened in history, It should make a difference to the way that we live, that we act, the way that we are motivated, the way that the church looks. And we've seen in the first three chapters, really, of Ephesians, we've been told some incredible things. We've been told that those who belong to Jesus, that He has loved them and known them since the dawn and before the dawn of time. We are told that we have been adopted as sons and daughters, brought into His household made insiders when we were once outsiders. We've been told that we have been raised spiritually to life, that we were once dead, and we've now been given life. Incredible things over and over. The truth of what is real about us, Paul has just been hammering on and hammering on and hammering on for three chapters. And now, he begins to turn to, what do we do? How do we live in light of that truth? If this is the reality of what is true about us, what does it look like now for us to live in that truth? So, will you follow along with me as we read Ephesians 4, and I'm going to read 1 through 16. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for Your Word. We don't just say that because it's something interesting to say. We say it because the words that we put on our lips are there to teach our hearts as well as reflect what's in our hearts. So, Lord, will you teach us, even through saying it, will you teach us thankfulness for your word? Will you conform us to your word this morning? Will you soften our hearts and open our eyes and unstop our ears so that we might see and hear and know who you are, what you have done What you have revealed to us what you've called us to, so that we might come to know you more deeply today. Lord, we do pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Maybe you have heard a parent say this before. Maybe you have been a child and your parent has said this to you before. Or maybe you have been a parent who has said this to your child. These words, act your age. You've heard that, right? When a parent says to a child, and it's usually preceded by, you know, first, middle, and last name, Derek Hampton McCollum, you act your age. Now, if you're like me, you've probably also realized that oftentimes when that is said, say, for instance, to a seven-year-old boy, it oftentimes doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Because usually the action that's taking place by that seven-year-old boy pretty much matches the age of that seven-year-old boy, and it's stuff that seven-year-old boys do. Well, what the parent really means, what that mother or father really means is, son, I want you to act older than what you are. <laughs> I want you to grow up. I want you to act mature. I want you to be mature and grow up. That is much of what Paul is saying to us and what God is saying to us in the scriptures here in Ephesians 4. He is saying, I want you, Christian, to grow up, to mature. To grow into even the stature of Christ, he says. And not only does he say that to us individually, but he says that to us as a church, collectively. See, organizations need to mature as well. Organizations are a lot like people, and churches are not excluded from this. Uh, If you're just joining us, um, we're just about a year old. We turned one in September, so like, organizationally speaking, we're like a toddler. Alright, we are very young and we need to hear this news now. For us, for our church, for Hope, what does it mean for us to mature? That's really the question that we're going to deal with this morning. What does a mature church look like? And what does it look like even for our church to grow up into maturity? To become more and more mature again, not just as individuals, but even collectively as a church. What does a mature church look like? We're going to talk about it in three kind of ways. We're going to talk about the components of a mature church. What are really the building blocks there of a mature church? And then why is it difficult? What's the difficulty of being a mature church? And then the path to maturity. Okay, So the components of maturity, the difficulty of maturity, and then the path toward maturity. Let's talk about the components of it first. What makes up a mature church? Well, if you read through those verses that I just read, there are two big kind of categories that stick out. Two big building blocks of a mature church that Paul talks about. And they are unity and diversity sounds sometimes like maybe those two don't go together, right? We're going to see actually how they go together and how actually they need each other in order for us to be a mature church. I mean, look at the way that Paul starts out here in verse 4. He's talking about unity, first of all. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The word one is said more times in that verse than any other verse in the entire Bible. I think we should get a clue to what Paul is talking about there. He wants the church to be one But that unity is something that is centered around his truth. He didn't just say, just be one as people, just be unified because unity is a good thing, just be unified because, you know, everybody will get along better. He says, one Lord, one faith, one Father, one baptism, one Spirit. The oneness is actually centered on the truth of everything that he said in those first three chapters. The unity that he desires for the church to have, the unity that God desires for our church to have, is actually centered on all of those things that Paul's been talking about for three chapters now, over and over and over. In fact, he goes on to make it even more explicit in verse 14. Listen to this. So that we may no longer be children, that's that growing up part, Tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him, who is the head, into Christ. He's not talking about universalism there. He's saying doctrine actually matters, and he uses this seafaring analogy. Now, we don't do a lot of sailing, you know, uh, except for in an inner tube, you know, around here. But really what he's talking about is this image of being out on some, in, a, in a big open sea. Think about, think about a big lake or even the Gulf of Mexico. And you're there and you're in just a little rowboat. And you've got nothing but a paddle and a tackle box with you. And in that little metal rowboat, the wind starts to blow. And you've got 15, 20, 25 mile an hour winds and they're starting to push things around. And you've got 5 to 8 to 10 foot kind of swells and these waves coming around. Well, if you're in this little rowboat with nothing but a paddle, it's not going to go all that well for you, is it? But think about the difference between that little rowboat and you all by yourself and a cruise ship. If you've ever been on a cruise, which I haven't, but I have seen pictures, those are really big boats. Okay? Like 5,000 people on one and hundreds of thousands of tons. That's how much they weigh. And that's how much water they displace. I watched a little video the other day of a a boat pulling out of port and it literally sucked all the water off of the beach. It was that much force that it pulled all the water off of the beach. Now, if you think about that boat in the same body of water with 5, 10, 15 foot waves, not that big of a deal. Yeah, maybe you sway a little bit and you have a little bit of trouble standing, but it's not going to be dangerous. And when the wind is blowing 10, 15, 20 miles per hour, not that big of a deal. You're protected. You are unified and you are stable because you are unified in what is true. You take those same 5,000 people and you split them up into their own little boats and they're going to have a hard time. And not only do we see here that they're going to have a hard time because the danger of simply being sunk But there's also a danger of the wind actually blowing you off course. The unity comes when it's unified around the truth. The other day I was at home working and two really lovely women came to my door, knocked on the door. We had a great discussion. We talked about the Bible. We talked about our families. We had a really, really great time. And they were lovely women. And as they were leaving, they handed me this magazine called the Watchtower Magazine. And they were people that I had a great, great conversation with. And we agreed actually on a lot of things. But friends, we were not unified because the Watchtower Magazine comes out of the Jehovah's Witness Church. And the Jehovah's Witness Doctrine actually says some really difficult things about who God is and who Jesus is. Jehovah's Witness doctrine preaches that God is not a trinity, but that actually Jesus was created just like you and me. And if we're going to make that change about who God is and who Jesus is, then we have shifted some really deep, essential stuff. In fact, the church has been concerned with these things for a long, long time, all the way back in the 4th century. There was a man named Arius who had the same beliefs. God is not Trinity. Jesus is created just kind of like other people are, and so we're going to totally shift our way of thinking about God. And what the church did was said, No, we're going to get together. A lot of pastors got together and they talked it through and they searched God's word and they prayed and what they came up with was saying, listen, we cannot be unified unless we're united around the truth. Unless we really know who God is, unless we really know who Jesus is, we can't truly be unified. And they produce a document that we have recited from time to time in this church, the Nicene Creed, that says that God is a trinity. He's triune, one God in three persons, that Jesus is eternally coexisting with the Father and the Spirit. These are the basic foundational doctrines that we have built the church on for the last few thousands of years. That's what I mean by unity. And we will not be a mature church if we do not hold tightly to those things. If we do not see the essentials of what it means to believe in Christ, the essentials of what it means to believe who God is and who Jesus is and who we are as a church, if we begin to let those things go, then we become like these little boats that are just tossed to and fro by the waves. A wind of new doctrine comes and we're blown off course or a teacher with some great charisma comes and we are led off course or someone comes who's really who wants to who wants to lead us astray or whose desire it is to make something of himself and not Jesus and the church is then led off course if we're not unified around the gospel then we will not be a mature church There's another side as well to that maturity that Paul talks about here. Listen as he goes on to talk about diversity. Verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then skipping down to 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Friends, if we are going to be a mature church, then we need to be gathered and unified around the truth of the gospel, but guess what? We're also going to be very different in many ways. The God, God has given His church, He has given the church different people with different gifts, different personalities, even sometimes various opinions. And so when you look around and you see other churches, who believe the same fundamentals as we do, who are united by the same unity, there are going to be people in those churches who have different ideas than you. And guess what? If we're going to be a mature church, that's going to happen in here too. There are going to be people sitting next to you on a Sunday morning who have very different personalities. There can be some people who love just the vibrancy of living in an urban environment and like the hustle and bustle of the city and just it feeds them and they love it. And there can be some people who want to live out in the country where there's peace and quiet and they love that kind of serenity. There are going to be some people who, uh, who love just the environment of new things and some people who love the environment of old things. There are going to be some people who love the sound of a violin playing a Bach concerto. And some people who love the sound of a Les Paul guitar turned up to 11. There are going to be some people who, it's their thing to dig into 19th century novels. And some people who'd rather watch X-Men movies. Okay? Different people with different personalities. There are going to be some people who cheer for the Longhorns. And some people who cheer for the wrong team. Just say it. There's also going to be people with different distinctives and different convictions, both in other churches and in our church as well. There are going to be people who faithfully desire to follow the Lord and faithfully want to be a part of His mission to redeem the world. And because of that, they have chosen to put their kids in public school environment and to dig into the families next door where their kids go to school. And there are going to be people... Who also desire to be faithful to God's word and to follow Jesus and have said, I want to be faithful to his desire for me to raise my children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so I've chosen to put my children in a Christian school or to school them at home. We're going to have both in our church. There are going to be people who read the Bible and come out saying, I think I should vote for this particular political candidate. And there are going to be people who read the same Bible and come out voting for the other candidate. There are going to be people in our church with different convictions about those kinds of things. There will be people in other wonderful churches and in our church who come down and see particular places in the Bible, particular pieces of theology that are important but not essential, and they are going to be different than other people in our church. We have members of our church, united together, who believe some different, somewhat important, but non-essential things. That is part of being a diverse body. And more so, more than anything else, what Paul talks about here is that we're going to have different gifts is that God has actually given the church different people with different gifts so that they might actually build the church up. And so notice a couple of things. First of all, they are given by Jesus, right? So you cannot look at somebody else's gift and say, it's inadequate or it's less than mine because Jesus gave them that gift the same as he gave you yours. And also, the intention is that it builds up. And so it's actually the diversity of gifts that... Builds the church and makes us grow and makes us mature. A mature church is one that is both unified and diverse. A mature church is one that is together on what is true about the gospel, what is essential about the truth of what God says, and is doggedly holding to it. And a mature church at the same time is one that is diverse in personality, oftentimes in convictions, and certainly in gifting. Unity and diversity. That is part of what it means to be a mature church. Those are the building blocks that Paul describes here in chapter 4. Let's just turn to that second thing now. Why is this so oftentimes difficult for us? Why do we have a hard time with maturity? Why do we have a hard time with unity and diversity together? Well, we have a hard time really probably based on the kind of person you are and there's really I'll, I'll divide us into two groups here there are way too many people on this side for some reason so I, I, I don't know so I'll just, I, but I'll, I guess I'll just do this side group A okay? you may be a part of group A and if you're a part of group A then, then your thinking is this um, I like things organized I like things kind of tidy and I like it when other people kind of have things tidy I like to know what's coming up next and I like closed endings I like poetry that rhymes I hate it when, I'm ended, when I end a movie and it's open-ended or there's some sort of cliffhanger movie. Can't stand that. Maybe like purebred dogs, you know, because it's just kind of everything. You just know it. It's, everything is just kind of right down the middle. You're a meat and potatoes person. You know what you like. You stick with it. That's going to describe some of you. Maybe half of you, maybe more. And if that describes you, if those kind of things describe you, then probably what else is true about you is that you're also attuned to threats. You're attuned to the dangers in the world, and really God has wired you so that you want to protect yourself and others, and your people and your family and in your church, from those threats. And so when you look out on the world and you look and you say, you know what, more and more increasingly, people are defining themselves as nuns, those who have no religious preference whatsoever. And so increasingly in our country, church belief and attendance is declining. And even in those who say, yes, I'm a Christian, attendance to church is declining. And even those who go to church, their understanding of what is essential about the faith is declining and they're beginning to let go of some very important things. And if you are a group A person, what you do is you look out and you see all of that and you have this need to protect and you say, you know what, I'm going to protect the unity and the doctrine of the church at all costs. So you kind of hunker down. In fact, maybe you even pull in some of those non-essential things just to kind of get a little bit more backup, just for good measure. And you bring them into the center and you say, it's really my job to protect. And so oftentimes, Group B people, diverse people, makes me a little bit nervous. Now, if you're a Group B person, you're just the opposite in many ways. Group B people, uh, they like experimenting. Like, a new vegetable? How exciting. I should eat that. They value experiences over control oftentimes. They oftentimes live in old houses because, you know, I don't know, it might break, but it's got a lot of really great character. They like free verse poetry, and they listen to jazz. And when you end a book on a cliffhanger ending or it's open-ended, hey, that's cool, because you know what? I'm about possibility. If you're a group B person, that's what you're attuned to very oftentimes is what is possible in the world. I want to see those options. I want to see the possibilities. I want to see what we could become, and I get excited about that. And so oftentimes then you look at these other people, these group A people who often want to protect and you start to get a little nervous and you think, man, they just kind of seem angry and uh, maybe they're just kind of crotchety old people and they always want to be doing their own thing and keeping things the same, but I'm afraid that then we're not going to see the possibilities. And if you're a group B person, your tendency is not to pull in things from the outside and put them in the center, but just the opposite. To actually take some of the central stuff and to loosen your grip on it a little bit. Because for some really good reasons, right? Like, I really want my neighbors to know Jesus. And that's going to really scare them off. So maybe I'll just soft pedal it a little bit. Maybe I'll just loosen it just a little bit so that they might come to know it a little bit better. And you take some of the stuff that's on the inside, the essential things, and you start to move it to the edges. And so you've got group A people who are looking at group B people like, you know, those churches that are like that are just sinful. And those people in my church, eh, just I don't know, they just kind of make me a little bit skeptical. I don't know, something seems to be wrong with them. And if you're a group B, B person, you're looking the same way at the group A folks. That's the problem with maturity for us is that oftentimes we don't see that those two things go together and because we're broken people we have a tendency either to let go of the foundational unity that we have in the gospel or to let go of the diversity that Jesus has given us. So what's the path forward? What's the way toward maturity? Well, it's found actually at the beginning of this passage. Flip over to the first few verses again. Just listen to these words. Let me read you just the first few verses. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul says the way that we go about maturing The way that we go about growing up as a church is that we are to walk or to live in a manner, and the the word he uses here is worthy, but that does not mean that we earn it. We are to walk or live in a manner that reflects what Jesus has already done for us. We are to live in a way that is actually reflective of the truth of the gospel. In fact, if you look at all of these things that Paul lays out, humility, patience, forbearance, gentleness, these are all things not only that we are called to, but these are things that Jesus has already done for us. In fact, and this is really important, if you've fallen asleep, wake up now, because this is important. We won't actually become a mature church until we see that Jesus has given us these things. And it's actually what he has done that creates them in us. Just follow with me for a second, okay? Humility, that's the first thing out of Paul's mouth. Well, what does he say about Jesus in Philippians 2? That though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But what? Humbled himself. Taking on the form of a servant and being found in human likeness. Humbled himself even to a cross. Friends, Jesus has humbled himself to come and to be one of us. To lay Himself before us. The King of all, the Creator of the universe, the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess His Lordship, has come and has humbled Himself so that we might be brought to Him. And when we understand that, we actually become humble people. We become those who in humility can begin to get along with people who may be different than we are. What's the next one He talks about? Gentleness, right? What does he say in Matthew 11? Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I, will give you a re- and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in heart. Jesus' gentleness is what has drawn us to Him. It's His gentleness with sinners like us. It's His gentleness with hard-hearted idiots like me that has actually given us His love. And when we come more deeply to understand that Jesus has been gentle to us when we haven't deserved it, then we become gentle with others. We become gentle as we walk alongside others. If they're not in the same place that we are, we can actually gently walk alongside them. He says patience then in the next thing. Paul says this in 1 Timothy 1, that, uh, that the truth is that Jesus came to save sinners, of whom I am chief, and that it is His patience that has brought me to Him. Friends, when we can actually say that same thing, that we are the chief among sinners, and it's only because of the patience of God revealed to us in Christ that we have been made part of His body. When we come to understand that, guess what? He produces patience in us. The kind of patience that allows us to grow as a church, slowly. <laughs> and you know, it takes time to grow, right? Remember the awkward middle school years? It takes some time. When we, when we see what Jesus has done, He allows us to patiently walk with ourselves and with others. He ends in the way that I'll end now in verse 16. By saying this, is that when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. A mature church is one of united diversity. Unified diversity with a love that is rooted in Christ's love for us and that is in turn spread to one another so that we might mature. That is the fuel for maturity in the church, is the love of Christ given to us. Let's pray now that he would give us that fuel together so that we might grow up. So that we might grow up together. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for your word now. We thank you for your promise even to mature us. We do confess that um, so oftentimes we we don't act our age. We act like little children. Um, Lord, you know that. You're patient with us. You're kind to us. You're humble. You bear with us even when we throw tantrums. But Lord, will you show us what it means to mature? Will you grow us up that we might somehow reflect the stature of our Lord? Pray these things, Lord, humbly. uh, Independence upon you and your spirit. And in Jesus' name, amen.